Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord, that we're, uh, we are on a journey and that we're flowing into your, the river of your love. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would take us, Lord, as those mountains are high and the rivers are deep, Lord, we'd lose ourselves in you. And, Lord, we'd press on till we really come into that ocean of your love and discover who we really are. Thank you, Lord. Just let your spirit be with us and your presence upon us and just touch every heart here today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves God said, Amen. Amen. Well, well, I've been working on this really great word. Um, It's really going to be awesome. But it's not quite ready. (laughs) So I'm going to preach what I preached last week in Margaret River. Um, But firstly, just want to say how much we love and appreciate everyone and and those that we don't know as well. We're looking forward to meeting you. And and it's great to have Eric with us. We've uh, got Africa in our home as well. He's here studying engineering and he's uh, stopping with us. And um, <clears throat> please forgive us for not being around much. We're, uh, our daughter has needed us a little and we're sort of out with mission stuff. And, but please don't think it's any uh, reflection on our love and appreciation for every one of you guys and, and uh, Duncan and Tara and the wonderful job that they're doing. We're so proud of them. We brag about you people everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you for releasing us and uh, apologies that um, we are not around much. Uh, last week we were in Margaret with the River with um, Ty's mate Matt and, um, and Susie's brother Steve came up and had a great time with them. Um, and I want to share about change, uh, I suppose, and the, the text I've got. Well, but look, first I just want to update you a little if we can have that PowerPoint on what's been going on with things in Africa. Um, a, that's uh, Tanzania, and that's where our leaders' groups are around the country. There's actually more than that, but that gives you a bit of an idea. If you can just go fairly quickly through these slides. Yeah, that's where Mike and Lyndall are based, is in Arusha, and that's where two farming projects are. <coughs> and there's the containers arrived. Um, we're there till two o'clock the next morning getting them out. This was our welcome to Africa. <laughs> I didn't drive in that ditch. I stopped in the middle of the road and the car literally slipped off. <laughs> I grew up in the bush. I thought I'd seen everything, but you can't even walk on that stuff in, in certain... Yeah, carry on. <clears throat> it, it wasn't pretty getting the containers off. Carry on, yeah. That's how they mixed their cement. And um, we built a shed between the two containers. Had to get all this ready in a hurry because I knew Keith was coming. Um, there's some shots around the workshop. That's our mate Kadori, some of the boys. That's, uh, this is one of the farmers' seminars. Um, that's, that's the big fella there. So. And that's his son, Cain. Cain was a real blessing. Cain and Keith came for a month. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Keith. It was just awesome, bro. We really 
made the the impossible possible is what I say. So we had a bit of a challenge at times. Oh, just go back to the little ox cart. That's what they call the village four by four. (laughs) And it was so funny. One day, there's one of them come careering down past the workshop and just about crashed into the... And it was because the driver was on his mobile phone. (laughs) And this is peak hour in Africa. Rush hour traffic. This is one of the churches. Keith came with us. To, this guy runs a, an awesome ministry in this really rough um, gem mining town. And uh, he's the chairman of our board and over there, and uh, he's an absolute legend. I haven't got a, pa- a photo of Somi, but he's just a champion. Uh, some more shots around the workshop. These are the rippers that we've built for loosening up the compaction in the soil. Uh, I like the, the pantsuit. I uh, had an amazing healing in that church. Well, quite a few, but... Um, the hunger for God in Africa is so refreshing. That, uh, and there's our ripper giving that a... There's a real ripper, actually. And that's our... Machine all painted up, <clears throat> and we've got, yeah, keep going. We've got four of those ready to go. Uh, yeah, just some shots of the p- church meetings, and yeah, so it's uh, church and farm. Keep going. It's pretty much saying goodbye. You can see the four machines in the background there, and a couple of rippers on the left. Yeah, and just go through this fairly quickly because they're... But our, you know, when, the, when the churches come together, when the pastors come together, it brings revival to the village and revival needs to tra- leads to transformation, which is uh, the whole purpose of what we're doing. And, you know, you can bring aid and you can bring machinery, you can bring technology, but unless you address the things in the culture... And that applies to Europeans as much as it does to Chinese or Africans. There's things in all of our cultures that clash with God's kingdom and they stop prosperity coming. And so these are some of the things, keep going, that we address. Yeah, just keep clicking through it because it's um, character development, leadership empowerment, entrepreneurial development, and that brings economic development and then uh, when, the, when all the boats rise together, then you start to see real progress in a community. Yeah, and they're the, the three key things for farmers is that Christian character and then the skills, the management to know how to do things and the technology. It's no good just having the tools. Like we say to guys, um, you know, this machine is nothing uh, because... I, I use, we do a little um, farmer training series and years ago did a leadership course with the wine barrel. Has anyone seen that? The wine barrel of leadership. You can, have, you can have wood coming up the side of the wine barrel, but unless those boards go to the top, the wine will run out the lowest board. And so what I, we, I did this little fancy drawing on a, over, on a uh, flip chart and you can have your, the best seed, you can have the best market, you can have the best machinery, 
you can have the best fertiliser, but if your weed control is down here, your crop yield is determined by the thing you do worst, not by all the good things you do. And this applies to all sorts of life. Um, and so, you know, we're really trying to hammer them that... Um, and I want to tell you that uh, I really wondered why we were going right out in the bush. It would have been a lot easier to do what we did in town, but the, the group of guys out there are sensational and they're very entrepreneurial. And to get good character together with entrepreneurial vision, that's the, that's the exciting thing. Because you can give good people a lot of stuff, but if they haven't got the push, it's the same anywhere in the world. And, and you can find people that got the push but don't have the integrity, that won't work either. So we feel very blessed. And, um, and just the latest is that a group of businessmen in the city have got behind us. Uh, it's a group called Meridian Global. Uh, our son Dave put us on to them. There's about 20-something businessmen who've decided to support our project. So, so praise God for that. Um, so keep praying because it's, uh, hallelujah, it's all by faith. Um, yeah, and I'd love you to turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> and my text is uh, verse 18, oh hang on, 17, hang on, uh, 16 to 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're old fashioned and carry your Bible around, or if you're lazy and just watch the screen, that's alright too. Um, <clears throat> uh, in fact, I want to read a couple of verses earlier in the chapter from verse 7. You can just listen to me if you... It's titled, The Glory of the New Covenant. The old way with, all, with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God. Wouldn't you like that? That'd be a bit of a crowd stopper, wouldn't it? That'd be a barbecue stopper. Someone, And actually that happened in, uh, in Boyart Brook. Everybody in the church started glowing. <laughs> People falling off chairs and it was quite incredible. Uh, and you should expect that from the new covenant. That's what Paul goes on to say. And for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? You know, who would have liked to have been in the Old Testament when the Red Sea was opening and, you know, God writing the Ten Commandments? I've seen the movie, but I don't know. It would have been something to be there. But Paul says it's better in the New, Co in the New Testament. The New Covenant is better. If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way with, which makes us right with God? Down to verse 12. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We like Moses who put a we are not like Moses, sorry, 
He put a veil on his face. Um, and he goes on, and then I want to begin our text, which is in verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Bless your word to our hearts, Father. Um, who likes change? Some personalities love change, love the excitement and the... And some really hate... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can try all you like, JC, but... <clears throat> um, you know, you hear, the, you hear the saying, you can get cynical about change. You, know, you hear the saying, people change, but not much. And, um, and we've all heard the old light bulb jokes about change. And uh, I found a couple that I hadn't heard before. Um, how many Trinitarian Christians does it take to change a light bulb? This is a giveaway, this one. It's got to be three, hasn't it? Well, it does take three, but they're really one. <laughs> How many fundamentalist Christians does it take to change a light bulb? The Bible does not say anything about light bulbs. <laughs> How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one since his hands are in the air anyway. How many atheists does it take to change a light bulb? It only takes one, but they're still in darkness. Oh. <laughs> How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? This one hurts. Only takes one. And, uh, sorry, it takes ten. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the darkness. <laughs> How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> but... You know, we can get discouraged about change. I was, I was thinking, you know, here's me thinking I can change farming in Tanzania and I can't even stop myself biting my fingernails. <laughs> yeah, God has done miracles in my life, but the character development side of it, to, which is, we're talking about being changed into the image of Jesus in this verse. God can't do that bit by a miracle, I'm sorry. You know, the old saying, you can cast out a demon, but unfortunately, we can't cast out our flesh, our sinful nature, which wants to do what we want to do when we want to do it and doesn't always find joy in pleasing God. And... Um, I took a whole bunch of podcasts over Africa because if I wake up in the night, I like listening to something. It's good for putting me to sleep. <laughs> but occasionally I absorb a little bit. <laughs> and I've got a couple of dozen of these podcasts on church history and the Reformation, and it's, I've just so enjoyed it. And, um, you know, these guys changed, and this is, I suppose, since we've been involved in Africa, we've, 
I've been really focused on, I felt like God's taken me a bit of a journey to see how, you know, what brought prosperity to Europe. And it really was the Reformation. Um, and I was thinking just this morning or last night that, you know, atheists have, need to be very thankful to us Christians. Because <laughs> if it wasn't for the influence of Christianity in Germany in the 16th century, 500 years ago, I mean, next year, it's going to be 500 years. Next year in October 28th, when it was Martin Luther had had enough of the corruption and the, the um, religion and legalism of the old medieval church, and he banged his you know, theses to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg. His, was it 53 theses or something? Uh, condemning the the religious traditions of men that didn't help people find God but hindered people from finding God. And because of that it started, you know, out of that came the Enlightenment and the, the, um, well, the Reformation produced the Enlightenment. So the atheists wouldn't have a free, open society in which to explore their rebellion and their pride if it wasn't for the Christians. So... Um, you know, I once heard Ravi Zacharias refuting Richard Dawkins, who is perhaps the most vocal atheist on the planet. Uh, some people call him, there's a group of atheists that call him the great hater. <laughs> and, uh, and Ravi was saying that, um, do you realise that the heritage of the Enlightenment began with the Christians. I mean, humanism began with the Christians. The guy that wrote the text for the King James New Testament, Erasmus, was really the first modern humanist. They trace it right back to Greece and trying to, you know, the, uh, the modern critics and intellectuals try and erase everything Christian out of our history, but Erasmus was the beginning of modern humanism. And he was a humanist because he believed man was made in the image of God, therefore needs respect. No matter who the man he is, whether he's black or white or rich or poor or man or woman, he is made in God's image and he needs respect. So even humanism, which has obviously turned against Christianity, they all came from the influence of this amazing book. And, you know, Germany got its language from Martin Luther. Modern German is just the dialect that he happened to speak. That's how powerful an influence it was. And what I didn't know is that French came from John Calvin. I thought Calvin was a Swiss in Geneva, but he was a Frenchman. And to his dying day, he wasn't... <laughs> the, the, he was a, a Frenchman, and the French language was, came from John Calvin. And so these guys, uh, and, uh, uh, was interesting, Calvin said, I'm not an innovator. My job's not to innovate, it's just to reform, to rediscover the keys that we've forgotten. Uh, and he based that on the verse in Hebrews where it says that Moses went up the mountain and God said, see that you do it according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. We don't have the privilege to invent some new style of religion. There's enough religions already. We need to peel all the religions back to get back to the simple 
relationship with God that Jesus Christ came to bring us. And, uh, you know, Calvin is often, you know, considered the father of modern theology and certainly, you know, what they call exegesis. He was a brilliant mind, absolute genius, trained as a lawyer. Um, And the, the previous generation, which was Erasmus, who translated the New Testament, Um, He wrote a commentary on a famous old classic about the way rulers are supposed to rule. It was called um, Senatus de Clementi, which means senators the rulers, and Clement is peaceful, they're supposed to rule in peace. And Erasmus wrote this famous commentary, he could speak ten languages, he was a literary genius, very wealthy man, Dutchman, Uh, And at the end of it, he says, if anyone can do any better, have a go. Well, young John Calvin at 26 wrote a commentary that blew Erasmus's right out of the water. And the whole literary world in Europe had their eyes on Calvin. And sooner after that, he had such an encounter with Jesus Christ that he refused to ever use his literary scholastic style again. Uh, and he only ever wrote in simple English, in simple French or uh, German, because he wanted, he didn't want to, you know, scholarship shouldn't make the, the simple complicated, it should simplify the complicated. You know what I mean? When you listen to theologians and, you know, they're all into their highfalutin terminology, well, Calvin realised that's not helpful. And he wrote his great life works, which is called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's, it's written in a... Bu- it's so readable. It's so amazing. Um, and, yeah. And so these great guys have been a real inspiration to me as I've sort of been hearing about the... And we need to be so proud of the history of the Christian church. It's, you know, it didn't just last for 50 years, 100 years. This is 500 years ago. These guys really built foundations that now they're starting to fall apart. Um, But the answer really is very simple, just to get back to the foundations that are already there. Um, And so, you know, these guys changed a whole culture. They changed not just the way people do church, but the way they thought about business and about politics and about education. You know, education, of course, there'd been already universities for 500 years. They, they were... All education was done by the church until about 200 years ago. The monasteries were like the TAFE colleges. The, the monks invented the eyeglass so they could study into their later life. They worked out how to grind the, the shapes of the eyeglass. They invented the clock and the little metal lays and things that they needed to develop because they wanted to know when to get up in the night to pray because their hourglass would only last an hour and it didn't make a noise anyway. <laughs> I don't know if they had a cuckoo clock back then, but I know they are pretty old. The Dutch invented them, but, um, you know, the, the, the monasteries were the ones that developed the agricultural machinery that increased the agricultural production throughout Europe and brought prosperity and, and out of that of course came the industrial revolution that it's no coincidence that all the early scientists were Christians 
The reason is they studied theology in the morning and the liberal arts in the afternoon. They'd study maths and physics and logic and rhetoric and, and uh, it all came <coughs> out of this book. And, you know, if, if they can change the world in their day, when uh, you read about the, the bubonic, bubonic plague, is that how you say it? That went through Europe three times in the 16th century. 30% uh, of children survived to survived infanthood. Um, Calvin was a very sick man pretty much all his life. Uh, had oh, gallstones and kidney stones and uh, hemorrhoids. The doctor told him to ride on horseback to shake, shake out his kidney stones. Keith had a bit of that. Uh, but he said to the doctor, my hemorrhoids are so bad, <laughs> the cure's worse than the complaint. And, you know, they had plagues going through diphtheria and typhoid and, and then the horrible one, um, consumption. What's that? Uh, tuberculosis. Calvin died of tuberculosis in his early 50s. He'd be, they'd carry him in on a stretcher, he'd sit up and preach, but... When he got to be coughing, spitting out too much blood, they thought, yeah, probably shouldn't preach anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, in the middle of that, these guys were running huge, thriving ministries. They had hundreds of people coming to, for training from all over Europe. Uh, they'd get a knock on the door in the middle of the night because a third of their preachers would get killed by the established church was... was uh, hiring these vigilantes called the Libertines that would go around knocking off the re reformers. The reason Calvin was in Geneva is that if he went to France, he'd be killed. And, yeah, and in the middle of that, they wrote volumes of books that you know, would go from there to there. And uh, so full of zeal and passion, it's just incredible. So, and they brought change. And really, the change that they saw happen in their own lives is the same change that we can see transform, not just individually and the church, corporately, but the whole nation. And eventually, uh, when Jesus comes, we're all going to be changed in a moment. And it's the same word that we see here. It's the word that we get the metamorphosis from, you know, a little grub just become, come somehow into this cocoon? Or is it, does it spin the cocoon? Oh, that's how little I know. Yeah, the grub spins the cocoon. Does it crawl inside it and seal it up? And then out comes the butterfly. And it's, uh, I heard a, one of the uh, intelligent design scientists talking about the, the complex geometrical Cartesian patterns in the butterfly's wings. That, are, that cannot, you know, there is such embedded uh, digital logic in the design of those wings that to say that it, it arose by any system of chance is, is absolutely impossible. Uh, that you think of the ugliest little grub or fly you can find, and he had some figures for it, like it's 100 billion, billion, billion times more complex than a pebble 
the same size. You know, the, I mean, the, the structure of a pebble is pretty amazing. You know, the rocks and little crystalline structure and stuff. Don't know if there's anyone here that probably knows a lot about that, but the complexity of the simplest living organism is it's billions and billions and billions and billion, billion times more complex. And so, you know, we see all around us, we see that incredible beauty and how something can transform from an ugly little grub into a butterfly. That's the word that God talks about change in you. And so you might think you're in the cocoon stage at the moment, but there's something beautiful happening inside of you if you've got God in your life. Um, yeah, really just so appreciated those songs, Sue. Bless you and love that one. Like Les mentioned, the Let There Be Light. That's awesome because it's so much um, what's my message here today. Uh, because when it starts off when someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. <clears throat> and there's one translation that says, uh, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, He has freedom. Or He has liberty. When we make Jesus Lord through the power of the Spirit, He has freedom to do whatever He wants. And uh, and it's a great little thought. I, I don't know. I heard somebody say that that can be read like that. But um, I wouldn't split a church over it or make a new religion over it. And so all of us, when we've had the veil removed, can see and reflect. Uh, the King James says, When we with open face behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And apparently that word glass can either mean looking through a, a window that's a bit dim or a mirror and they used to make mirrors out of brass in the Old Testament I guess by the New Testament they might have had glass but I don't know but, but either way it means to see and reflect God's glory so you know I love the thought behind that little you know what would Jesus do aren't they cute but really you know, if you look at it in the Bible, he doesn't want us to be second-guessing what Jesus would do in every situation. But really, as we're beholding him, we're not imitating, but we're reflecting his light anyway. And so we shouldn't even need to be thinking about it, but as we're thinking about him, then that light will just pass through us and do what Jesus would do. But rather than, you know, stressing about Oh, I wonder what Jesus would do. <laughs> it's a good thing to think. <laughs> but it's better if it just flows through us naturally. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you are, you know, you are not an imitator. You're a transmission line. You know, or a, you're a channel in the river of God. It's his spirit flowing through us that brings life. It's not us trying to think, well, what would God do? That's a bit mechanical. Because the change in us needs to be something that's authentic and something that is organic and just doing what, you know, that light will shine in places where, you know, Jesus maybe never had a, a Facebook account and, you know, <laughs> situations that would never, never come up, 
come about in his day, but his spirit is the same. It's the same spirit in us, shining through us. Um, and so then the verse goes on, uh, makes, and more, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. And, you know, change is not easy. And as I said before, I remember years ago, um, my friend Mike Rothery went to a... We became friends at the Manjimup High School and Mike went to a high school reunion about 15 or so years after. And uh, I wasn't able to make it for some reason. And he said, you know, it's amazing that the guys that were a bit dodgy at school... They're still dodgy now. <laughs> and the guys that were really nice guys at school, they're still really nice guys now. And, you know, so change is not easy. But until, until the heart turns to the Lord, then the veil's taken away. And, you know, we've got a room full of testimonies here of miracles that God has done. And... and uh, yeah, it, it always encourages me to, to hear a testimony and to meet somebody. But, you know, once that, once that miracle of God's regeneration has been done, then there is still change that happens by discipleship. God does some, something change by a miracle. He sets us free. I mean, he takes us the way we are, not because he wants to, but it's the only option he had. <laughs> you know, he... It's, uh, you know, it's a great, it's true. God loves you just the way you are. Well, frankly, he's got no option. <laughs> he can't love you the way you aren't. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so we need to get over that little one <laughs> and realise that it's, uh, it's not because God loves everything that we do necessarily, but he just loves us because we're made in his image. And even though we've got warts and all and all these issues, he loves us the way we are because he made us in his image. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us the way that we are. <laughs> he wants us to change. He wants us to go through this metamorphosis whereby the veil is taken away and the Holy Spirit comes and does what only he can do. Um, and it's all about just allowing the Spirit and the Word to fashion us. It says that we're changed into his image. And the you know, big theme of Paul, especially in Ephesians, as that we might become made into the image of Jesus Christ. He is the pattern son. He's our Lord, our Saviour. He is the Son of God. But Paul's great theme is that the end of discipleship is that we might become more and more like Christ. And uh, you know how the old saying that people... Oh, people come to look like their dogs. I mean, it's, you say, there were some funny emails. <laughs> I think it's just entirely coincidental, but there's some really funny photos of people. <laughs> and uh, some of us are freaking out right now because we, we've got some pretty ugly-looking dogs. But, <laughs> but, 
But it's true that you become what you behold. What we're looking at, if we're looking at the negatives and the doubts and the fears and the impossibilities, then that's our focus. Um, I was watched a, uh, just a few weeks ago, watched an interview of Ernie Dingo. Ernie's not a Christian, he's a great guy. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of godly influence there. Um, but he's being interviewed by another Aboriginal guy who was trying to get him towards the negative things and the bad things that have happened in the stolen generation. And he says, Ernie, what's the biggest problem that the Indigenous people in Australia have? And Ernie says, the black fella's got one big problem. It's the black fella. And, and I thought, well, you know, the white fella's got one big problem too. It's the white fella. <laughs> you know, we want to blame the situation. And, uh, and Ernie's been out of the spotlight for some years. For any that haven't heard of him, he used to be like a television host and a great guy, great role model um, for young people. And, and he says, uh, and once again, he was trying to pump on the sorry, sorrow and the, the difficulty of change. Uh, and he said to Ernie, you know, do you miss being in the limelight and all of the, the money and everything else? And uh, Ernie says, I don't look back. I'm not going that direction. And... <laughs> And he really meant it. And I, I thought, wow. You know, that, that's, I need to l listen to that. Because, you know, if we're, whatever we're focusing on, that's what we become. If we're beholding Jesus, we become like him. Our thoughts, our, if we're worshipping him, the spirit comes and is changing us. And it might be like in the cocoon. We might not be much to look out on the outside at the moment, but look out world. There's a butterfly coming. There is metamorphosis going on here as we worship him. And, and sometimes you've just got to let that cocoon spin, you know, just spin that thing and don't worry. Our problem is when we look at other things or look back. You know, even Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plough, don't look back. It's a good little farming tip there, you know. Look back, you'll drive into a tree or something. <laughs> but... You know, don't look back. We're not going that way. Look forward. And another thing, last quote from Ernie. He says, you know, when I come to a new hill, it's a new horizon. And I want to explore the new horizon. He didn't say that God has for me, but that's the way I took it. There's a new horizon in front of you. We can be afraid of change. And, you know, Leslie and I have struggled with, you know, reinventing ourselves since uh, we sort of... You know, God um, uh, led us to, you know, resign as pastors here. But, uh, but, but it's exciting. It's exciting to discover the new things that God has. And they are things that are just, it's going to be different. But God is doing a change. And, you know, if there's people here facing change, and, uh, you know, like I said, some personalities embrace it and run at it and, and just thrive on it. But if you're struggling with it a bit, then just allow the Holy Spirit just to, to work in our heart. Take the veil away. Let us see him. And as we behold him, he's working that, that change, that, um, what's the big word again? The metamorphosis within. <clears throat> 
a couple of verses and I'm done. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, you don't need to turn to it. Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, which is his flesh. Um, and then verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Jesus tore the veil. We, you know, the veil has been taken away because Jesus tore the veil that separated God from the people. And whenever you follow Jesus through that veil and don't listen to your sinful nature, which would want to keep you from God's presence, but whenever you obey him, you are tearing the veil. And you can come with boldness into God's presence. Isn't that awesome? And that's the place we're changed. When we're beholding him, we're changed by the Holy Spirit into the same image. Isn't that amazing? And, it's the, and like I said, it's the same word it says in Corinthians that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet shall sound. And that metamorphosis will be seen to everybody then. But it's going on now. You won't be changed then if you're not letting the Spirit change you now. Um, and so... You know, that, yeah, I've just said it all. <laughs> no point saying it twice. It gets boring. <laughs> no. but, but how wonderful it is that God is, is with us in, in every season of life, in every process, and his spirit is working in us such beautiful, such beauty, like those, you know, the wings of a butterfly, uh, turning us little grubs into something that's magnificent. So if you're feeling a little grubby today, that's part of the process. Just uh, curl up in your little cocoon. No, I don't know. If the analogy breaks down somewhere, but it sounds a bit like getting depressed, but... But we just need to rest in him. That's probably a better way of putting it. And uh, as we behold him and see, th get the veils out of the way so that we can really see God, then we don't have to stress and strain. You know, somebody once said, you don't go past an apple tree and hear the apple sort of stressing and sweating trying to be an apple <laughs> have you ever heard that you know oh, i'm trying to be this apple that's nice and green and we can get like that can't we you know the pressure on christians is ridiculous but it doesn't come from god <laughs> and really you know those old reformers that's what they discovered is that it's grace it's not doing all this stuff. The old church had seven sacraments they kept the people in bondage with. Oh, yes, you had to have your sins forgiven, but that's only part of the journey. Then you have to take the mass and you have to pay the money and you have to do all these processes. And then you still weren't sure if it was a bit like Islam. You were never sure if you're really saved. 
And then they say Martin Luther was on the toilet one day reading Romans because he had a bad problem with uh, hemorrhoids. <laughs> and he read, the just shall live by faith. And so the change that happens in us is not about us sweating and striving, but it's about discovering and just living in the grace of God. Let's stand up and maybe could have the keys, could we? Or... Thank you. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> yes, we do thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. And we thank you that you are working in our lives to, to produce the fruit that you want to bring in us, which really is to be like you and to change us from glory to glory into the same image. And I do just want to pray for everybody here today at Cornerstone that all of us, Father, would just be able to turn our eyes to you, turn our heart to you so that veil is taken away so we can see you in all your glory, that your spirit might be at work in each one of us to change us into your image. And thank you that we can't strive to do it. We can only trust and rest. And let your Holy Spirit work within us. And so I just pray a blessing on every person here today. That your life and your light and your goodness and your grace would just so shower down upon each person, each family. And just cover us all with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated if you wish, or if you would like prayer, then we'd love to pray with you. And uh, I'll hand back to Leanne. Thank you, Leanne.